just powerful stuff. This book is so full of truth. I, I just can't get past one verse, and you could just write uh, three, four, five messages on it. And so I'm trying to trying to do good here, but <laughs> folks, give me some special grace, <laughs> Amen. Uh, Romans chapter two, verse number one, and uh, today. I want to look at a passage here that deals with another aspect of righteousness. Um, We went through Romans chapter 1. What we were doing is for the first half of that chapter, I think I may have it written down here. I might have a slide I can kind of show you. Uh, Verse 1 to 17, we talked about revealing righteousness. And we know that only through the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. The second aspect that we've been looking at is Romans 1, 18 to 32. It's reviling righteousness. It's talking about the heathen that turn their backs on that which is right. And because of that, their morality declined and so forth. And that is a big aspect of Romans chapter 1 as well. So revealing righteousness, reviling righteousness. And then now in chapter 2, what we're beginning to see is a different form of a problem, and that's revising righteousness revising righteousness and it's uh and i want to talk a little bit about that today uh because i think what happens is in religion sometimes we have a way of revising what god planned for righteousness truly to be and uh and so we're going to talk about that today we're going to talk today a little bit about judgment uh this passage deals with self-righteousness it deals with god's judgment But not only that, it also deals with the judgment of man and how man judges. And so I'm going to spend some time today looking at this aspect of judgment because I think that we're living in a day and age that the the form or or the meaning of that word judge has changed in people's minds. And they think every time it's mentioned, of course, we just ought not judge, ought not judge. But that's not right and we got to be biblical. We got to be biblical. There's times, there's certain ways you ought not judge, but then the scripture gives us many ways where we are to judge. And I think we have to be clear on what God is actually requiring of us. And we can't be revising righteousness. You know, uh, the Pharisees were like that. But let me read a couple of verses here, and then we'll get going. In verse number one, it says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the, day of, against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them, by, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, 
of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. But when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let's pray. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help me to bring sense and meaning and understanding to this passage today. I pray, Lord, that as we walk through these concepts of judging and self-righteousness, Lord, that you would make sure that nobody misapplies what I'm saying. Lord, we know that there's so many different philosophies in this world. Help us, Lord, to believe the truth and to know the truth. And I pray that today we'd be uh, solidified in the truth of God's word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've just finished dealing with the heathen in God's courtroom and the charges of ungodliness and unrighteousness evidenced by a life of willful ignorance, ignorance of truth that has led the heathen to a life of debauchery. That's what happens. A person that doesn't want the truth is willfully ignorant and because they do not want to retain the knowledge of God in their heart and mind, their morality begins to slip. So the, the moral uh, temperature of our nation is basically based upon how much of the knowledge of God they have in them. And so that tells you a lot about our nation. The, the heathen can easily be detected. Uh, the next group that we're going to consider is not so easy. It's a self-righteous group. But yet at the same time, not necessarily any better than the last group. Because both of these, we see that in this passage, they're both treasuring up to themselves wrath against the day of judgment. They're both lost because the righteousness that they're trusting in is not the righteousness that was revealed through the gospel. Amen? It's something that has been manufactured. With the heathen, it's just simply we're going to make our own we don't need God's righteousness. I'll determine what I want to do. I, God gave me a brain. I'll tell you, you know, how I'm going to do this. The self-righteous take the laws of God and they put it in a place that it ought not be. And they start trusting in themselves and their own righteousness for appeasing God and the wrath of God. And we know that doesn't work. We know that the only way to stand righteously before God is to receive Christ as the gospel tells us to. That's how the righteousness of God is imputed to you, charged to your account, amen? You can't bring it in yourself. Christ has to put it there. The Pharisees would be considered moralists, and that's really another word for a self-righteous person is a moralist. But we know that they were lost. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said, you will die in your sins, you imagine having Jesus tell that to you, you know? Here you're trying to be all prim and proper and religious and have your life all exactly what people expect it to be and Jesus comes to you and says, you're going to go to hell? 
That must have been a shock to them because they thought they were doing pretty good. Well, they were revising righteousness. Matthew 23, 27 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. They were like whited sepulchres, but inwardly they were spiritually dead. They thought maybe painting the outside of my tomb is going to make me alive, and it's not. And that's what people try to do. They dress themselves up with laws. They dress themselves up with rituals or, or maybe certain things that maybe they hold on to from the Old Testament, and they think somehow that's going to dress them up enough where God's going to receive them. And I'm sorry, that is just not true. Just because someone looks moral does not mean they are saved and they trust Christ's righteousness for salvation. You've got to understand that. You can put on the clothes and you can dress up any old way you want. It doesn't mean that you're saved. We could have somebody in this room today that's lost. Yet you probably thought they were saved. I've seen it happen so many times. Because what you look like does not determine your salvation. What determines your salvation is what you allowed Christ to do on the inside. That's the tomb. You know, that's the dead men's bones. That's what needs to be made alive. And if you think for one second that painting your outside is going to change your inside, you are wrong. You are wrong. The rejectors in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says from the beginning, were without excuse. That means you're without excuse because what could be known of God is manifest in you. There's not a man on this earth that says, I don't believe in God, that actually believes that. Because in them, they know it. Many times you have somebody talk about how they don't believe there's a God, and he says, but if there were a God, they follow with that statement because they're following up with what they really believe inside. There is a God. They're just trying to manufacture who he is. Because they know that they don't measure up. The self-righteous goes on to say, Thou, therefore, in verse number one, thou art inexcusable, O man. So the heathen are without excuse. The self-righteous are inexcusable. Without apology, they are not justified, not excused by God because they're putting on the show. Those that are self-righteous are not justified before God because they believe they can meet God's standard based on their own merit and their own righteousness. Self-righteousness. It's pretty easy to determine that with people. A moralist is a someone who believes they're better than others. They express their righteousness by outward acts of piety and they think that somehow because I'm better than them, I have the right to judge them. They almost put themselves in the place of God. In Matthew 6, verse 16, you have a great illustration of who a Pharisee was and it kind of gives you an understanding a little bit of what a self-righteous person is. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as a hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's as far as they get. They got their earthly reward. The little clap from the man that says, oh, you look so spiritual. And that's all they get. Nothing from God. Matthew 6, 5. It says, when thou prayest, 
Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to stand, uh, pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Just the fact that they're seen and everybody thinks, look at how spiritual they are. That's all they get. Matthew 6, 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. <laughs> Just can't shut your mouth. <laughs> you think that somehow you got to put a uh, sermon together when you pray, when all God wants to hear from your voices, help me, God. Some of the strongest prayers I've ever prayed have been three words. Yeah. And he understood exactly what I said because the Bible says that his spirit, he, he, he knows, he discerns what the will of God is for me and he, he, he transfers that up to heaven. Amen? Some of us, we feel defeated because we're not praying, a, you know, thousand word prayers. Uh, can I ask you to start with one word? <laughs> Move up from there. Don't stop praying because you think you're not praying enough. Why don't you just pray and just say, Lord, I just need help. And just keep talking to him like that. Like you would your friend. Sometimes your friend doesn't want to hear you just babble on. (laughs) Amen. They appear to live a moral life. They have strong values, principles, and standards, and they stand by those, but yet inward, they are dead. They even have self-discipline. And they very much bank on that self-discipline and they show you how disciplined they are and they, they say, this is what makes me better. I want to give you a couple of points here. The first thing, I want to get into a topic today and talk about it. But before I do that, I just want to give a little bit of insight into the self-righteous so that you have a little bit of understanding before I get into this topic because it's a rabbit trail, all right? But it's a planned one. It's in my notes, all right? So number one, the self-righteous blindly judge others. They blindly judge others. They are deceived by believing they are better and therefore have the right to be critical of others. That's why it says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. That's a hypocrite. Hypocrite is an actor. That's the word they used to use for the actors. They would put a mask on. They pretend to be someone else. So everybody that you see on a movie is really a hypocrite. They're pretending to be somebody that they're not. And that's what these people are. Um, Whosoever, it says, whosoever thou art that judges. So he's not aiming at a specific people group right here, even though you can apply the Jews, but it's more than that. He says, whoever you are, you can be Jew, Gentile, I don't care who you think you are, but every last one of us are in danger, especially if you're lost, to become like this because you're trusting in your religion. Yeah. Folks, I've seen this, and boy, it's so prevalent today within society and even within Christendom today, the way that they're expressing their faith in the Lord, it's without Christ and without his shed blood. And somehow they've created some kind of a, uh, a fashion of a, uh, a picture that they're sending to everybody about a tolerant, loving God, but there's no salvation. It's just simply a uh, whited sepulcher. They just looks good, and everybody's clapping, and oh, this is so great, and their emotions get all stirred up, and that's why I got to be careful with just having the music playing. And a lot of these churches do that; they stir everybody up, but yet it's nothing on the inside. Yeah. Nothing on the inside. 
thing I want you to understand about judging, the word judge simply just means that. It means a, a, to give an opinion after separating and considering the particulars of a case, like the judge does. And whether it's talking negatively or positively, really the word always means what the word means. So when you tell somebody, oh no, you shouldn't judge, that's a very difficult thing to say because the Bible tells us that we should judge some things. The word judge always means the same thing, but you determine whether you should or shouldn't by the context of the passage. It's called rightly dividing the word of truth. So as I went into this, I thought, you know, I need to delve into this because I don't want people to walk away from my message thinking that now, oh, I can't judge anything. Folks, if we couldn't judge anything, this church would not be here today. We need to judge some things. And it's tough and it's not something we should glory in or it's not something we should, uh, you know, have fun with. But it's something necessary because of sin and wickedness in the world. You have to develop and, uh, your ability to judge situations and sometimes even people. Not to condemn. See, this is really the issue. The issue is not that you judge or not. The issue is why are you judging and how are you doing it? Motive is so vitally important. If I'm just trying to judge you because I think I'm better than you and I, uh, I'm just trying to make you look bad because I feel I'm so good. <laughs> That's what he's saying here, thou hypocrite. That kind of judgment cannot take place because I know ultimately, no matter which way it is, no matter how hard I judge and condemn you, I am guilty of the same things that you are. <laughs> if you would go through a list of Romans chapter 1, and you would uh, start reading through that list of things, you'd say, oh, you know, I've probably done something like that. Here it says in Romans 1.29, being filled with all unrighteousness. See, this is the heathen that rejects the knowledge of God, rejects the righteousness of God, and because there's no room for the righteousness of God, all unrighteousness fills them up. But that doesn't mean that you don't have some of these things in your life, You just may not have all of it, and you may not be filled with it, but you got it. Amen? It says here, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. Ever coveted something? Maliciousness, full of envy. Ever been jealous? Murder. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. Ever hated anybody? Debate. Always trying to prove you're right because you're the one that knows. That's what debate is. Debate is always trying to pick an argument because you want to prove that you know better than they do. That's all unrighteousness. You don't need to do things like that. Why do you need to do that? You think you're getting somewhere? <laughs> you don't get anywhere through that kind of debate. You get there through, sometimes you need to rebuke. Sometimes you need to admonish, but you don't debate. Sometimes these conversations that people have and they're thinking that somehow they're accomplishing something, but they're really just dividing. They're really just hurting. Because they really don't care about the soul itself. They just care about winning the argument. You can win an argument and lose the soul. Then what have you gained? That's debate, deceit, malignity, 
whispers, backbiters, haters of God. Of course, nobody here hates God. Despiteful, proud, ever been proud? Boaster, ever boasted about yourself? Inventors of evil things, well, maybe not, but have you been disobedient to your parents? Without understanding, ever, ever broke a covenant? Without natural affection, implacable? You ever met an implacable person? You know what that is? No matter how you try to smooth things over with them, they will not let it happen. You just want to go forward. You just want to have a, hey, let's just, for the sake of just unity and joy and happy, let's just get past this. Nope. I'm right. You have to do this in order for me to get past this. They won't anyways. They're implacable. Unmerciful. See, folks, these self-righteous people will judge others and condemn them when they themselves are guilty of the very same things. They may not be filled with it. They may not have all unrighteousness, but they definitely have some of it in some level. Amen? So we've got to be careful about that. So we're not going to look down at each other and say, oh, you're like that. <laughs> you should be more like me. <laughs> you better be careful. They may become worse if they become like you. You get it? <laughs> You know, so that's not what this is about. That's not what judging's about. Issuing sentence on somebody, condemning them. Because you're just like them. But there are different reasons for judging. There's motives for judging. Judging is about protecting. Judging is about salvaging. And sometimes you start with the salvaging and you can't salvage, so it ends up being the protecting. I know there's a pastor, I, I have to face this all the time. And you get the same, well, you're judging. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to judge the, um, whether this person can be salvaged or not. And then if they don't want to be salvaged, then I have to judge whether what they're doing is hurting somebody. Then I have to make a judgment on that. See, otherwise, uh, you don't need a pastor then. See, if I can't judge, then I might as well go home. <laughs> you know, because there's no purpose for us meeting here today because you will be you will be eaten up in a short time by the wolves. You will. And I'll tell you something, just the fact sometimes that there's a pastor behind the pulpit keeps the wolves out. And then many times it's what the pastor says that keeps the wolves even further away. That's why the wolves, when they look at the, the flock, they see that shepherd there. Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. And so that shepherd judges. <laughs> Amen. Oh, that old wolf right there. Oh, were you calling me a wolf? They got sheep's clothing on. I think you're a wolf. Well, you look like a sheep. You smell like a sheep. But your heart seems like a wolf. Oh, don't judge. Well, that's a great thing for a wolf to say. (laughs) In fact, the wolf is the one that wrote the book. Judge not. <laughs> it sure wasn't the sheep. <laughs> the sheep say, please, shepherd, could you please judge? <laughs> We're too stupid to protect ourselves. I'm glad the Lord is our shepherd, amen. So I want to get into this thought here, and I know I won't get done today. I, I've got, uh, I started sitting down, and I put some stuff down. I got a lot of stuff. 
God's people can judge righteously. By judging, we're talking about forming an opinion concerning a situation or a behavior of a person in an attempt to salvage people or protect people from harm. Amen? Not to make yourself look good, not to condemn somebody, any of those things, but it's about protecting and salvaging. Amen? If you're looking for dirt to defend yourself with, then your judging is wrong. You're self-righteous. People do that. All they do is look at people just so they can find something wrong with them, so they can say, ah, makes them feel better about their own sin. That, my friend, you'll meet God with. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't even help you. Judging is for the spiritually minded. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. See, that's really what we want to do here. See, we are in a very special time. See, because I've said this before, there are five judgments. There's the judgment of the cross. Then there's the judgment of self. Then there's the judgment seat of Christ. And then there's the judgment of the nations. And then there's the judgment of the great white throne. And they all connect in some ways. See, because I've gone through the judgment of the cross, now I'm able to judge myself. If I've never gone through the judgment of the cross, I can't judge myself. A lost man does not know how to judge himself. But we are given this period of time, this dispensation we live in is really all about judging self. You have to constantly and daily Look at yourself and judge yourself as to where you are in your Christian life. And when you do that, you make corrections and you, you, you make decisions that will help you to grow and to become the Christian that you ought to be. Now, if you do that, if you've got the first judgment down and you've received Christ, that means your sin has been dealt with. I want to tell you something. A wonderful truth is this, that if you're born again, you can and will never have your sin ever brought up before the throne of God. Because all of it was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand the depth of that? Never will your sin be brought into question, ever. But what your sin does after you're saved, it affects your works. It affects how you become what God wants you to be, which has an impact on the third judgment, which is called the judgment seat of Christ. You see, because you've got the capability to judge yourself, you can now face this judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says that you can receive those rewards for things that you have done in your body while you're here on earth. And that's completely based upon how well you judge yourself. Amen? So you always start with yourself. As a pastor, there's a crown. It's called the, the crown of glory. And every pastor that does their job well will receive that crown. I sure would like that crown. I sure hope I get that crown. But I'm going to tell you something. To get that crown, I have to judge. Do you understand that? Now, some people don't want me to have that crown. So they want to stop me from judging. But I'm sorry, I'm aiming for the crown. 
So what that means is I have to protect the flock and I have to deal with some stuff. People don't like it. They have some problems with it. But I'm sorry, I'm going to meet God at the end of this. And you will have nothing to do with it. Now, if you could say that you'll put in the good word for me and it'll come to me because of what you said, I'll just go on vacation. But it has everything to do with how I handle this church. Amen? Judgment is involved. It always is. Self-judgment. Judging. Spiritual man judgeth all things. All things. It's a spiritual man that does that. A person that says don't judge is not spiritual. They're carnal. Because they're trying to hide their sin and they don't want anybody to find out. It's kind of like the man that you know, went to this convenience store and picked up a, a six-pack of uh, Coca-Cola and put it in the back of his car and he drove down the highway and all of a sudden it didn't take long and the police were behind him, you know, pulled him over and he says, hey, I think I saw you put some alcohol in your car. No, I didn't. I just went to the convenience store. I picked up a six-pack of Coca-Cola. Go ahead, search the car. Go ahead, search the car. Oh, I know my rights. Ah, you're just trying to cover your sin. See, if you just got a six-pack of Coke in the back seat and not a six-pack of alcohol, you have no problem with them looking in your back seat. But it's when you have the wrong thing there. Oh, I've got my rights. Do you understand that? That's why the Bible says that a spiritual man judgeth all things, and yet he himself is judge of no man. Because he doesn't live his life to cover his own sin. He just does right, seeks to do right. And when he does wrong, and someone says, hey, that was wrong, he says, oh, I'm, I apologize for that. I'm going to correct that. That's just a part of living. Yeah. Just because someone has done wrong is not any reason for you to condemn them. Because they always have a chance to get right, and I hope that you'll give them that chance. Amen. Amen? Now, if they don't want to get right, this is where the trouble comes. Amen? There's three kinds of people on this planet. The first one is natural people. That's what it says here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The hardest thing to do is talk to somebody that's talking spiritual that is not spiritual. A lost man that's pretending to be spiritual, that is a difficult situation. I remember working with a guy and he went to AA and it was real spiritual, yet he was not saved. It was all spirit, spirit, spirit. He goes, man, how do I get through this guy? He's too spiritual to get saved. See, it was, it was just foolish. He, he, he didn't receive the things of God. Yeah. See, man's spirit is dead, unregenerated. I got my charts again. That's who you are. You're three parts, your spirit, your soul, your body. When you're dead in your sins, that means that your spirit is absent of the life of God. That's why the Bible says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. They don't invite Christ in because he that hath the Son hath life. They don't invite him in because they are willingly ignorant. They want to remain ignorant, and so they continue on with a dead spirit. A dead spirit means that you cannot communicate with God. There's no connection with God. 
You are separated from God. Your, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. He wants to come in, but you're not letting him in. You reject the gospel. You'll, you ha, you're developing your own way of righteousness. And your spirit is dead. So no matter how you dress up the body, no matter how religious you look, it's not going to make that spirit alive. There's only one way to make that spirit alive, and that's where Jesus said, you must be born again. Birth is life. Being born again is being born spiritually. That means that Christ comes in and makes you alive inside. And when his spirit comes in and your spirit becomes alive, you now have the capability to have a relationship with God because your spirit is the part of you that connects to God in heaven. It's not your body. It's your spirit. Your body is the part that connects with earth. (laughs) Amen? And so you need to be born again. So a natural man does not have life inside. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So no matter what you do, no matter how you behave, no matter where you go, no matter how you talk, no matter how you behave yourself, nothing will connect you to God except for that new birth. And I've talked to people, are you born again? Oh, we don't, we don't use that term. I said, well, Jesus did. Yeah. Well, we don't, what you're saying is no, you're not saved. Because <laughs> anybody that is saved will have no problem talking about being born again. And if you don't know what being born again is, then you probably do need to be saved. Religion is not going to save you. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I even told our mayor when I had coffee with him, I said, we've got to remember... Religion is this way between man. Salvation is this way with God. I said, the problem is when you try to do this to get this, you're trying to do religion to get to God, you've got some serious problems. But if you'll get your salvation established and you get the life of God inside of you, now he can flow through you so you can have pure religion. So not all roads lead to heaven. And by roads, they're really referring to religions. There's no religions that get you to heaven. The only thing that gets you to heaven is the new birth. Your salvation has to be established. It doesn't matter what church you're from, where you're from, you've got to be born again. (laughs) Amen. Now, if you go to the wrong church, they won't tell you that. Which means it won't happen unless the Lord somehow brings somebody into your life through a door knock or through a piece of literature or something like that, but it's not going to happen as you're listening to the people over the pulpit because they don't understand it. So we have to establish our salvation first and then God can work through us because he only works one direction, down. His righteousness revealed from heaven to man. Amen? We don't reverse the process and bring our righteousness back up to glory. He says, I don't want that filthy stuff here. He says, I'll give you what you need. You just follow me. Amen? That way you get no glory. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? So you have natural people. Number two, you have spiritual people. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, but he himself is judged of no man. Man's spirit has been made alive, regenerated, and sealed. It's another graphic for you. So basically what happens is you get born again and Christ comes into your heart. 
the spirit of your son, of his son dwelleth in you, crying, Abba, Father. Yeah. Now I've got this relationship where now I can say, Abba, like Daddy. I'm close to God because the spirit of God is inside of me and I've been made alive and I'm connected to him now, amen? That's the new birth. I've been born into his family. That's the only way to be saved. You can't get saved any other way, amen? But a spiritual man, so the first thing is I got to get the Spirit of God inside of me. But just because I have the Spirit of God inside of me does not make me a spiritual man. To be a spiritual man, I have to allow the Lord through the Bible, through my spirit, to operate in my soul and through my body. See, God doesn't work from the outside in. He works from the inside out. That's why he can do nothing with you until you allow him in. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it says, and, oh, can I turn there? <laughs> I know it, but I don't know it. In Ephesians, I probably have it here in my notes, but I preach the way I write. I kind of preach when I'm in my office, just, you know, just it flows that way. But then I forget that I put it down. And so Ephesians chapter 2, notice it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then it goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That means you don't even have to determine what works you're going to do. It's already been preordained for you. All you have to do is allow him to do that work in you. He's created you in Christ unto. It's a preposition, right? What does that mean? It denotes towards something. So that means good works cannot save you, but they are a result of being saved. And so unto good works. And so a spiritual man allows himself being created in Christ. The Bible says you're a new creature in Christ Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You allow the word of God to get into your heart. You, you, through your mind, your will and emotions, you meditate. You allow it to renew your thinking. You're kicking out the garbage every single day. Everything you've ever learned since you were two years old, you're throwing it out the door and you're allowing truth to take its place and it's changing the way you're thinking. And because it's changing the way you're thinking, you're making decisions. You're making decisions every day to do what the Bible says to do because your will is affected by what's in your mind, amen? And so you're making that decision. Now you're not doing it by your emotions. Your emotions aren't involved with yet. You're simply allowing the word of God into your heart, and then you're making a decision based on what the Bible says in your spirit. Amen? Amen. And your emotions are saying, don't do that. Because the devil works from the outside in. And he puts pressure on your body, and he works into your soul through pressure in the world around you. And the first point of contact that the devil has with your soul is your emotion. And that's why many times when you make a decision to do something for God, your emotions say no, but the Spirit says yes, because the emotions are operating on the flesh principle. <laughs> and so you've got a conflict happening here. So now you know what kind of Christian you're going to be. A spiritual Christian, no matter what he feels like, will make the right decision. 
by principle, led by principle, not by pressure. Pressure. If you allow pressure to dictate your life, you are what the next group is, and that is a carnal Christian. Carnal Christian is someone that has the Spirit of God inside of them. They're saved. They're sealed into the day of redemption, but they don't allow the Word of God to work through them and flesh out of their life because of the pressure, because of the emotion. They're scared. They want to pay, they don't want to pay the price. They don't want to take up the cross and follow me. Amen. The Bible says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Oh, there's a life for you to have, but you've got to face those things. You've got to face the pressures of life. You've got to make the right decision under all that pressure. And when you do, it's amazing. When you make your decision and you, you nail it down, all of a sudden your emotion turns around towards you and says, hey, this is pretty good. And you have a peace and a joy follow after. But many times the joy isn't there to start with. There's fear and pressure and so forth. So you're making a decision in spite of the way you feel. That's why I always tell people your emotions ought never lead your life. Your emotions are followers, not leaders. The day your emotion becomes a leader, you are losing the battle. Because the devil is gaining advantage in your life. Because he works from the outside in. He did it with Eve. He did it with Adam. He did it with David. He did it with every person that's ever failed. It come from the outside in. Amen. When she saw that the tree was good for food. When she saw, you know, oh, the lusts and the temptations are all based on what comes from the outside in. The pressures are coming from the outside in. Oh, they just make you want to quit. I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this anymore. See, don't don't operate by pressure. I've felt that many, many times. I feel it right now. (laughs) I feel it coming up on Wednesday. Serious. It's a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight that keeps me up at night. And as it goes around in my mind, I say, Lord, what should I do? And he just says, just do right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so the pressure is there and it keeps pushing on you and pushing and overwhelming you. And the worst thing you can do is, oh, this is just too much. Can't do this anymore. You've just given in. You've lost your battle. No, we'll be like Jesus. We'll go to the cross for him. We will suffer, we'll we'll do whatever we have to do. We will lose our life for his sake, so we shall find it. Oh, I'll tell you something, when you make a decision that's right and good, and even though it feels like such a hard thing to do, after it's said and done, you're going to look and say, boy, I, I see a new aspect of life here. God has given me a power and a blessing on my life because I made the right choice. You'll never get that if you go by pressure. Just moves one thing to another. Pressure after pressure after pressure, you know. Spiritual man. You got the natural man. You got the spiritual man. You got the carnal man. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3, 
And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal. So he's talking to believers. So anybody that says a carnal person is just a lost person, they don't know what they're talking about. Because the Bible says that these here are brethren. They are a part of the same family of God. But he couldn't speak unto them as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Like children, right? Like you think, don't you get it, kid? (laughs) Well, the Lord says to you, don't you get it, kid? (laughs) Same thing. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. That's why sometimes when I'm preaching some stuff, you guys are choking, man. (laughs) And by the way, Sunday morning is the more milk. I I preach more milk on Sunday morning than any other time of the week. You should come to a Sunday night and Wednesday night. We'll have some good old sirloin. (laughs) HP sauce. Make it go down real good. You've got to learn to chew. Amen? (laughs) My daughter, she's got memes of me. She'll take videos and snippets and things like that, and she's going to destroy me one day. (laughs) I love it. It says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal, walk as men? Flesh is in control. Carnal man lives by pressure, desires, not principle. Therefore, he compromises the truth because it's just easier that way. You know? Always looking for that easy route, like a river, like a water flowing through and trying to find the way through that, and it, it ends up being a windy, windy river. Not as straight as an arrow river. Because a carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. That means if you're carnally minded, you're not listening to God. The carnal mind cannot even obey God. It'll automatically choose the wrong thing. Remember I had this missionary one time visited us in my first ministry and he was our guest preacher for the missions conference and he was in the hotel and this hotel had a bunch of windy halls and I remember going out and I went to his door and said, let's go and so he just runs in front of me. I thought, okay, you want to lead? <laughs> so I just kind of walked behind him, and he was just—he was just going to find his way. And every time we go to a corner, he turned the wrong way first. I said, no, the other way. Oh, okay. And he goes that way, and it would have been easy just to let me lead. <laughs> you know, then he could just go made the right corner. But he thought he wanted to be the one in front. Now he didn't do it on purpose, but it just, I just thought, I just started laughing. I said, isn't that just what we are? That is exactly what we are. We want to be in control. And the carnal mind is enemy against God. And even if you could have a 50-50 chance of making the right decision, you make the wrong one. That's the flesh. It's not even a game of odds. It's just basically you will fail. (laughs) It's just over, you know. The carnal mind is enmity with God and cannot subject itself. That you and I can become if we don't nail this down. See, many people that say don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, 
it's because they're carnal. Because the Bible says that a spiritual man judgeth all things and is judged of no man. Even the Apostle Paul said, he says, it's a small thing for me to be judged of you. He looked at man, he says, it doesn't bother me a bit. He says, because I have a judge. If you live in light of what God expects from you, you will always be beyond what man can expect of you. And only a spiritual man wants to do what God wants. But if you live your life like that, no man will judge you. Now, they may throw a judgment at you. That's an error. But they'll never be able to throw mud at you and it'll stick. Because you've made God your judge. If you make God your judge, there's no man that has that standard. (laughs) Amen. Even though they try to make it stick, it doesn't stick. So let me ask you, and I'm not going to go any further today, we're done. Tonight, I want to preach on how spiritual people judge. I'm going to give you scripture on what happens or how a spiritual person operates when they judge things. And I think that's important to know. And I thought I needed to go through this before I get into the hypocrisy of judging. Because I want to get past this whole mentality that judge not, judge not. You've got to understand your life is all about judgment. It's just how do we do it and why do we do it? And a person that doesn't judge right, they'll always wonder, why are you doing this? Because they're only judging one, one way. And all they can know is the motive that they have. And so they don't understand your judgment. <laughs> you're trying to help somebody, they think you're trying to destroy them. Because judgment is hard. And judgment is difficult to stand and, and do and be a part of it. Especially when you're working with people. You understand that. It takes a spiritual person to do it. Because a carnal person say, uh, I'm going home. <laughs> it's easier that way. It's easier, you know. Would you like me to come to church every day and just say, I'm going to do what's easy for me today. I'm going to pastor this church, but folks, I just want to let you know something. I'm going to do it the easy way. You want me to do the easy way? There's the easy way or the right way. Let's do it the right way. Jesus despised, he endured the cross, despised the shame, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. Not the joy he was experiencing, not the joy he came from, but a joy that he has not even seen yet. He has not experienced yet. He says, I'm going to keep the cross on my back and I'm going to endure. That's what enduring means. It means I'm going to keep the load on me. And Jesus made this very real. He defined this for us because when they asked him, well, why don't you take, why don't you just uh, escape this judgment? Why don't you just, you know, he says, don't you think that I can now call 12 legions of angels and they won't come and rescue me? That's my own paraphrase. Twelve legions. We've got to remember, David had legions as well. And David had 144,000 soldiers around him. And Jesus said, don't you think, and that was a king's, that was a king's close guard. Yeah. 
Now Jesus, knowing David's close guard, said to the people, Don't you think that I can call more than twelve? You thought David was something? I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. You don't think I can come down off the cross? I endure. I stay under it. It's a choice. And he says to God's people, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Keep it on your back. Endure it. For the joy that's set before you. Without faith, you can't do that. But I'm going to tell you, parent, you keep that cross on your back for your family, the joy is coming. Pastor, you keep that cross on your back, the joy is coming. Mother, keep that cross on your back. It's tough, but the joy is coming. Teenager, standing alone, You know what the world wants you to do. You know what they're calling you to do. You just keep the cross on your back. You endure. Because the joy is coming in the morning. Amen. Oh, don't give up. Folks, we got to stay strong here. Don't let the pressures take you out. We need to be spiritual. Amen. And the spiritual man judgeth all things and yet is judged of no man because we continue on and we've got a great judge that we make the focal point of our life. Amen? Amen. And that's why we endure. Let's bow our heads. I don't know how the Lord has used this message, but I'm going to encourage you today. Folks, each one of you have a cross that God designed for your life. Your cross is different than mine. You each have one. It has to do with your family. It has to do with the pressures of life. It has to do with making a living. It has to do with raising your children. It has to do with being the right testimony in the home, in the church. It has to do with all these things. And you have to make the determination by principle because a faith-filled person is not looking for the immediate response of the emotion. You know that joy comes later because it's principle-based. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know how this message has affected you, but I know this is for somebody if not for all of us. Can I encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever is testing you, whatever is causing you to maybe have thoughts of quitting or backing up or whatever it is, can I ask you to put that at the foot of Christ's cross and then take up your cross for him? Because he took up.